everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Melanade Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Welcome everybody to today's Melanated discussion. Today we'll be talking about the African Americans, Black people with ties to the motherland. Um, so I don't want it to be confused because I know that there are differences in having ties to your culture back in Africa. So we're going to be covering the African perspective here today. And so thank you everybody for being here. Um, and let's jump right into it. So my first question for everyone is, is race an issue in the U.S.? Yes, definitely. Does anybody think no, it is not an issue in the US? Yeah, the lips mean not. Nah. So, <laughs> next question. <laughs> uh, since race is an issue in the US, um, can you guys tell me or give me uh, examples of how African people specifically are treated differently in the US? And before you guys start, uh, first question, do a shout out of the place that you're representing back in Africa so everyone knows when they watch this, um, because I know I wouldn't know if I didn't know you guys, what your background was. So how are African people treated differently in the US? Um, I can go first. Uh, so my name is Bukola. I am from, from Nigeria. My dad is from Nigeria. I was born here in the US, uh, but I have very strong ties. Uh, to Nigeria. Um, and I guess I would kind of reframe the question. I don't know if Africans are treated differently. I think that white people in particular, broader Americans, they see us as black people. So um, I think that um, we are, you know, in, in terms of that distinction I and, and the way in which we're treated, it, it isn't all that different, um, unfortunately. But I'm curious to hear what the other ladies have to say about it. Hi, um, my name is Tayo, as I said in the beginning. I'm, my family's from Nigeria. I'm Nigerian-American. Um, I feel that uh, the way Africans or African-Americans, however you want to call it, are treated differently is in relation to our Black counterparts who do not have cultural connections to the motherland. And it goes from, you know, starting from grade school, from the mocking of, hey, yeah, African booty scratcher, all those type of jokes and all that stuff, to all of a sudden everyone wanting to be connected to this country. It's a new thing because we grew up not really wanting to tell people where we're from. Well, I didn't. I didn't really want to tell people where I was from in fear of being mocked or being, or being not related to. So even though I saw people that looked like me, I didn't feel like I was part of them and I had to act more black um, to feel connected to them and not separated. So that's how I would say, I guess, Africans are treated different, differently in respective to people who look just like us, but from America. Nice, um, I'll go next. Um, I'm from South Sudan, so it borders Kenya, and it's like the newest um, nation or newest country um, that got its independence. So it's like the youngest country. And as far as how we're treated differently, I think, the images that are shown of Africans, even when I was younger, like when I was younger, kids would ask me crazy things. Like, are you living with lions? Ooh. It's just like the images that are put out about Africans, I feel like is the way that we're treated. Does that make sense? Like 
kids are not just walking around with flies on their nose. Like, no, we have homes. And I feel like the images that are portrayed of Africa, um, like affects how we're treated and received. If that makes sense, is what I could like add to the conversation. I, I also agree. Hi guys, my name is Mofta. I'm from Eritrea, Eritrea um, in Northeast Africa. And I, I absolutely agree with imagery. Um, there's such a lack of representation of Africans um, in the media. You know, you see certain types of images and even when we saw some color on the screen, it, it didn't necessarily represent us. And so I think that there's always been um, a yearning or lack of being able to see people that look like me um, in not only in on the TV, but also seeing, you know, CEOs or executives, or even in the hospitals, there's just a lack of seeing images of myself across the board. And I think that that certainly shapes you as a young, uh, as a young woman. Yeah, just to add to that, I'm Siham and I'm from Eritrea. I agree with all of you. It does, you know, like the American Blacks are asking us questions like, hey, do you live with lions? Do you have water? Do you guys have, you know, just certain things. It's just like common knowledge that it's like, yes, we have all of that. But it's because, like Makta said, because the media shows you people running with lions or half naked you know, they don't show you the cities and the stuff that we have. It's kind of like how the media controls even how America's looked at. So we come here and we more relate to the black culture, but sometimes you feel like you don't fit in there either because they're like, well, where are you from? What, you know, you know, you realize, okay, I guess I'm different. So you're like, where do I fit in? So it's kind of a weird place to be. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my name is Halal and my family is actually from Ethiopia and Somalia. Um, um, in Ethiopia, my, my dad's side is from Harar and the rest of my mom's side is from Somalia. So growing up, um, Carol and I grew up in a very um, non-diverse school system. <laughs> and um, I just remember for the most part, you know, those, those booty scratcher conversations <laughs> did come up you know, despite me actually being born and raised here. So I actually was always in this weird place of like, the people back home don't see me as one of them. And then the people here would be like, uh, so just finding that middle place here. Um, and I, like, when you asked the question, one thing that came to mind was a time when a Caucasian boy, uh, a white boy in uh, our high school, I remember I argued with him for a good 45 minutes because he told me I was not black. He said, you're not black. I said, where? I'm like, where am I from? So he said, Ethiopia and Somalia. And I'm like, where is that? And I just, I'll never forget like where I was sitting and just going back and forth and having a white man tell me that I'm not black. So it's just always been, um, I've always been very proud of who I am, but also it's been, it's been very like, I guess my experience is, is, is a little bizarre and different <laughs> in that sense. Well, do you know, or did he say what his reasoning was and saying you weren't black was he trying to tokenize you as you're a different type of black like you don't act like the blacks that we think americans act like almost trying to make giving you a backhanded compliment basically like yeah you might be black but you're not that type of black so no right. you're different right i think i think what threw him off was the muslim was being muslim and i don't know maybe he just wasn't familiar you know there were other somali and ethiopian americans in our school but 
um, there weren't many. So maybe, I don't know, whatever the case may be. But I think because I remember bringing up the example of Malcolm X and I said, well, Malcolm X is Muslim and he's black. Right. And he's like, yeah, but you're, you're not black. You're Muslim, but you're not black. So I was just a, I bring this example up because I knew he was wrong, but to have someone who's not, I don't know, for him to even tell me that, I'm just, to this day, I'm perplexed. And I'm like, I wonder, I'm like, where did he end up in life? <laughs> but yeah, so, and that's the thing, I don't even know why I need to have those types of conversations, you know, in, to begin with. Yeah, so. Yeah, hello. Um, I feel sometimes it's like the multi-layers of our identity that it's like, really hard to like convey to like Americans or like white people. Like he probably couldn't understand how you are like Muslim, black, African, like you are all one of those, you're all of that in one. And he just wanted to label you as one probably, which is like so difficult. But to T's Point, I've had people say to me but you you guys are different or you act different you're kind of you know not the same as the blacks here and I don't know what they're trying to say by that comment but I'm thinking when I go apply for a job or for a loan I'm looked at the same way my experience as a black in America is no different than another black but they do see the difference and they have you know, the audacity to say, well, you guys are a little different than the Blacks here. And I'm always perplexed, like, what do you mean that we're different? Do we act different? Do we talk different? Do we look different? Yet, we're treated the same when it comes to opportunities, right? So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, and I could jump in there. Um, so I didn't really do an intro. So I'm Carol. I'm from Kenya. Um, and I'm born there raised there until I was early elementary and then I moved to the States um, but continue to have ties to Kenya. Um, I was just there like less than a year ago so grew up in my family at least very Kenyan upbringing um, but in regards to CM's last comment on tokenism I feel like I represent that to like a T like it, in my life growing up in the States as in like through the education system like I was always the person who was like in advanced courses. And then I was like, oh, well, you're not like the other black people because like you're super smart. So you're not like that. Or they would always talk about how I speak. Be like, oh, well, you don't sound black or you don't like sound African. Cause I like trained myself right when I came to the States, it was imperative for me to like learn how to talk like in like an American accent. Cause I was ridiculed for speaking in my African accent when I came. So growing up, I always got like, oh, you sound white or you don't sound black or African. So I made sure that I like learn how to like, speak American or like so they can like get me. Um, and then like as I've just grown up, I've always been the token, I feel, or I've experienced a lot of tokenism in my life. So that is, that's a topic that hits close to home, CM. Yeah, just to add to that, I had a conversation with a person that's from the European white and this whole race situation, and she felt comfortable to come to me and say, well, I mean, you know, they have the same opportunities as you, and why is it that, um, you know, they don't 
you know what I mean? She's trying to say like, it's safe for her to kind of come to me and say, well, why don't they push themselves to get to places where, you know, and then she kind of went on to say, well, I grew up in the hood and I was really poor and I went to a really bad school, but I took this class that got me to where I am. And I'm like, look, I come from Africa where we have a culture, we have a background, we have, you know, there's just different struggles. Like for us to come here with a culture, because I wasn't born here, it's a different mindset for me to push myself to get to somewhere because at least I have some sort of identity and I wasn't brought up thinking, oh, your, your history is slavery. There's just like oppression that's like history that they don't take the time to consider. And I'm like, you're, you're missing that point of the struggle that the black Americans have gone through. So, but anyways, I just thought that was interesting for her to come to me and say, well, you had the same opportunity. Like, no, there's a difference, you know? I think it's important to make sure that we, we continue to kind of tease that out a little bit. So growing up, um, you know, my parents taught my brother and I that we were different from African Americans and they unfortunately had um, taken on this point of view that, you know, you know, they're uneducated, they're lazy, like, you know, they, they talk to us about African Americans the way some white people speak <laughs> about black people. It's so unfortunate. I mean, I've had to have lots of conversations with my parents to kind of unwind some of that stuff, but, and it goes back to what you were talking about, which is this lack of recognition of what these people have actually have to go through in this country. Like you cannot, you cannot compare a self-selecting group of immigrants who have made a decision to come here, who, you know, perhaps had the resources or the education to be able to come to the U.S. and make a way for themselves to people who were enslaved and then had to go through generations of wealth inequality. I mean, obviously I'm speaking to the choir here, but um, I think that, you know, having to grow up thinking that for at least until I, I got into my teenage years and was able to think more critically about it, um, it just, I unfortunately lacked a certain level of empathy for Black Americans um, as a result. So I think it's really, really unfortunate. And it's, it's, I think it's good to, you know, ensure that we, because we should be able to have lots of conversations across the different groups instead of um, having these divisions. And like, when you all were talking about being from Africa, I noticed I like had to figure out my title where I was like Nigerian or Nigerian American or whatever it is, because I was born here, I was born in California, but I'm the first generation American. And so me trying to learn about my culture in Nigeria, the Yoruba tribe and all that stuff was very difficult because at the same time I was trying to learn the culture in America and the learn English in the black community. And I've always had this sense of never really belonging anywhere because I would go back home to Nigeria and they'll say, oh, you're, you have a Nigerian name, but you can't even speak Yoruba, your native language, or you don't know anything about our culture. Then I'll come here, and then the Black Americans say, well, you're African, you can't relate to our struggles, or even if you are born here, you didn't go through the whole issue of slavery, or your descendants didn't really. And so that constant divide of trying to find um, unity between the two nations has been a lifelong struggle, and Thankfully, into my adulthood, I'm currently learning how to embrace both sides, despite not being um, fully accepted by either. It, it's a it's a it's a really isolating experience, I think, when when you're when you're in America and you're trying to learn 
the right way to survive. Um, and, and you're being told from these different groups, you're, you're not enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough. Um, it, it's, it's really, isol it's, it's a very isolating experience. And until you find like-minded women of black women specifically that have, that you're able to have these dialogue with, I mean, that's why Melanie has been so important for me is because I think I lack that community for so long. Um, and it was very, very hard to have these conversations, even with, um, I have very incredible friends that are immigrants from, from other countries. Um, but there's a level that, um, there's only so far that you can understand. And so it, it the, the level of isolation, um, I, I think it tends to be associated with shame. Um, and I think that it's so important to have open dialogue. And I, I'm really happy that we're having these types of discussions. Um, I think it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I think it's just really, really important for us to define our blackness and I feel like when you when you hear comments like well you're not black enough or like what what does that really mean I think that's problematic because you're African you're Haitian you're Jamaican you're black American and and you know okay you're you're black and you're you're from America but defining blackness is what unites us we all have melanin in our skin no matter if you are Haitian no matter if you are Eritrean no matter if you're from Nigeria and you grew up in California and not back home, you're still black. And it's so hurtful when someone, especially a white man, a white male is telling you about your blackness, something that someone else shouldn't be able to take from you or tell you or define for you. We should be defining that and educating others about our blackness. And I think, um, I think that's important to define what that is. What does it mean to be black? I agree, Par. Um, and I want to jump in on the not black enough. And I think that some black people jump to say that African people are not black or they're not the same because we also are pushed away and shunned by people from Africa. Like the whole you are not African American and it's always in a bad way. They don't want you to be uh, like a black American because there's negative connotations tied to everything that comes with being black in America. And so I think they're almost like trying to beat you guys to the punch. So you guys can't separate yourself from us because we know it's tied with negative connotation and just say, no, well, we're not African. We're different. We're not fucking with that. Like, so you can't get the chance to tell us that, well, you're not like, you may have descendants that are from Africa, but you're not the same because we have culture and you guys don't. Because to be honest, that shit fucking hurts. Like for me to not know where I come from, because people have purposefully erased where my people come from, where I can't trace back who my great-great-grandparents were and what part of Africa they come from, where I have to go take a fucking ancestry DNA test, which who knows if this shit is even real. So I feel like it's like, it's horrible because yes, we should be united because we all have melanin in our skin and we know everybody who is black is coming from Africa, even the people who live in the Caribbean. They were just dropped off in a different area than my people were dropped off in. And the slavery looked a little different. And that's why they still have their culture. But we all are from Africa. And so I would, I do want everyone to be united. I think I just want to jump in from the black American perspective to just throw in that people are not united because myself and people that I know have experienced 
a lot of African people basically trying to push us to the side because like you said, you guys are lazy. Um, why can't they just X, Y, Z? And it's like, because there's generational trauma that people love to ignore that is passed down over generations that you just have to, it's very hard to find out how to get out of some of these things. And the whole not being black enough, I've also been told that I am not black enough. Oh, you want to go do that? You want to ski? You want this? Black people don't do that shit. And I say, I guess I'm not black then, bitch. I guess I'm not your type of black then. So it's uh, this whole not black enough shit. Like, I feel like it spans a lot of things, but between black people and African people, I think it's because Black people want to beat African people to the punch and separate themselves before you guys can let us know. Well, at least we have culture. At least we have culture. You guys don't. Have you guys ever heard or has anyone, any of your Black American friends, like, express anything like this to you guys or? Yeah, I think, like, me and Chantel talk about that. And I think there is um, a, a wedge between Africans and Black people, just because I think when Africans first immigrated to America, there's a language barrier already. And it's like, and these images that they feed us of Black people in America, those are those images of shooting and all this stuff that we see here in America, they see that in Africa. That's all they're, they're feeding them. So of course, they're going to um, uh, have, have those feelings towards Black people, because that's what they're being fed, those images. Same as like African images that are being forced on black people is, okay, feed the hungry, everybody's starving. No, you know, not everyone's like that. So it goes back to like the images that we see. And I feel like there is friction between um, uh, Africans and black people for that reason. There's the language barriers and the images that we, we feed each other. I was just gonna add to that. Um, one thing I noticed, so being in Minneapolis um, at the epicenter where George Floyd was murdered and um, um, being a part of what the community has been doing and being at the memorial um, and having a conversation with my African and African-American friends, as sad as this sounds, um, the death of George Floyd really just allowed us to mend and talk about that. Um, and like, I feel that we're so much more closer now than we were before. And I agree 100% with everything that you guys are saying, and it's real. And I think for us right now, I, I think at, at 25, I'm 25 right now, and just realizing that we're just now having these conversations is in a way like, you know, I'm happy. And then, then it makes me really sad at the same time. But it's it's been so much love um, as a result of, of, of George Floyd's um sorry, not as a result, but because of that happening and us getting together, we've really had these conversations and it's really brought us together. T, what you said is 100% right. I think that there's a lot of anti-Blackness everywhere. And because of the messages and the propaganda that we're fed, um, our families do have an incorrect perception, much as a lot of people have incorrect perception around Black people and Black lives. And I think that one of the beautiful things, um, me and Carol went to a Habesha-led Black Lives Matter um, protest, and I was very, very emotional because we don't talk about this in our communities, that there is a divide and that there is separation and that there is a perception that we are different when we are the same. 
and um, just being there and them addressing that we are no longer going to separate ourselves, that we're standing in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement was so important because it addressed that there was an issue and that we, a lot of us, grow up in a society that we are, are being oppressed in. And so it's, I, I just, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the messages that I've had in my head about hair, about how I speak, about how, I'm, how I've grown up in white spaces, how I was born in Eritrea, came to the United States, and noticing the ways that I've made myself smaller and the ways that I've assimilated to survive. And I think that now that we have an opportunity to be in quarantine and sit with ourselves, it allows for us to evaluate more about what were ways that I was feeding into that or believing those messages and what can I do to create a better dialogue because it 100% exists. And what you're saying, you know, beating us to the punch, it, it exists, right? It, it, it's, it's valid. Um, the, the idea that, um, the idea literally that black and blackness has a negative connotation to it it still it still um it still frustrates me and i think that's where this divide comes from this whole just saying black you think all these negative things when it's supposed to be beautiful it's supposed to be empowering it's supposed to be wonderful and enchanting you know um i had a friend um he's mixed he's half white half black but he doesn't consider himself neither because he doesn't want to be seen as black but he'd rather be seen as other or close to whatever his white mother is and i had a discussion with him i was like why do you not want to be considered black and he just said well i don't know it just sounds bad and he genuinely said it like thinking at the top of his head without any like you know filter and he was like oh yeah yeah i need to think about this and it's crazy because he grew up also in minnesota and it's just like I don't know, maybe it's like through TV, music, news, but like even to this day, even kids in middle school, elementary school to this day struggle with loving that they're black, whether they're African or African-American or just black American. They just, they struggle so much just like looking in the mirror and saying, okay, this is okay. Like the skin tone's okay. How I talk is okay. What I like is okay. It's okay. So yeah, it's a, that's the, God, it sucks. It's a lifelong journey for every kid who is black that has to go into learning how to love themselves when the world keeps telling them to hate themselves. That is for sure. And I wouldn't even say only kids. Adults are still living with it. Like I started the melanated thing because I wanted to meet like-minded black women specifically. And then I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do these conversations because like, I feel like I've been waiting on like my aunts or my mom or somebody to want to talk about these things and have these difficult discussions because why do they fucking exist in the first place? If everybody's always claiming black this or black power or black is cool or everybody only wants to pick up the things that are cool with being black but nobody likes black people but like i've never heard anyone ever want to go into the discussion of why nobody ever wants to talk about this shit but it exists and it's rampant like and so i feel like a lot of adults are still dealing with this shit till this day like 
So yeah, kids, adults, grandparents still living with this, the same stuff. It's like, when is it going to stop? And when are we going to start actually breaking this stuff down and uniting? People always talk about uniting, but nobody's ever doing the work to unite ever. No one's ever looking at the root of why all of these things exist. They just say, oh, well, you know, we just need to unite. Or people say, oh, well, this should just be a colorblind society and everyone just be looked at as a human being. And I'm like, no, I want to be looked at as a black person. I want my black culture. But you also need to understand where these things come from. We can't just put up a paintbrush over everything to try to make everyone look a certain way. And usually when people are talking about colorblind societies, it really means just be white. Do the thing that is comfortable for white people because we're not the majority in this country anyways we're the majority worldwide whether people want to recognize that or not but colorblind society to me means assimilate even more to the point where people won't even talk about race so yeah um let's move into the next question so i'm curious to know when's the first time you guys recognized or understood that you were black and that you were african so different has someone on the schoolyard while you're at recess pointed out that oh well i don't want to play with you because you're black or yeah well i don't know if you're black but you're different you're not the same as me kind of thing like or has it been someone at home who's pointed out that you are XYZ, so you need to behave accordingly? I think it's, I think it's both. Sorry, I'm really late in the game. I forgot I was a panelist for a second. Um, been joining, listening to you guys. Um, I'm Burhan. I'm from Eritrea. Um, I, I, I definitely had it on both sides. So like really young, just like everybody else on this panel, um, I very early on was ridiculed for being African. I remember being in elementary school and the African booty scratcher comments. Um, and there was one girl in particular, and I'll call her out, her name was Rosa. Um, I hope she sees this. Um, <laughs> um, like she would bully me, like, and I was like in the third grade and she would bully me and she would like chase me home. And then she like wanted to fight me and she pulled on my hair. I had like long braids. My mom would always braid my hair in singles um jub jub in our language and she would always like yank on my hair and be like your hair's not real and it was real but she would just like like and I just wouldn't say anything because I just didn't know how to like handle that kind of weird judgment and like I didn't know why she was picking on me um and it escalated like our families got involved it got really really bad and I um and she would you know call me all kinds of terms ask me if my family ate roaches all kinds of things and her friends would jump in and you know kind of like co-sign and help her out and um i just i always knew there was like a, a contrast right i knew that i was very different from black americans but i didn't know i didn't understand like the history behind it and why um i just knew that um i tried to leave my africanness at home because i just want i just wanted to assimilate to general american culture not just like black American, for me, it was just American culture, right? Um, how do I come to school not smelling like spices because my mom's been cooking all day because everyone's making a comment about that? Um, how do I, you know, uh, keep my parents from coming to chaperone because they have these big accents and everyone's gonna make fun of them, right? And then at home, you have it as well where my mom always made it really clear, like, no, you're Eritrean, you're African, like there is a difference. Um, 
which, you know, I think we've had a lot of discussions around that now. There's like obviously a lot of education to be had. Um, I think um, blackness is starting to become like the term black is starting to become more of a global term to cover all um, all the different identities of blackness that there is because there's so many complexities within the black, like within black identities, right? And I think like the silver lining with this uprising of the, the this like new uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement is that I think a lot of people across the board, across all of these black identities are starting to get really fed up um, and start to kind of peep like, hey, we are all in this together, right? Because everybody else sees us as black. They don't care about the complexities of our blackness. They just see us as black. So I have a story is when I came here, I went straight to Atlanta, which is predominantly black. So it was really, I barely knew that, you know, there was racism for the first maybe three years of being in America, which was good because I was still learning English and that was like a perfect place to be. Yes, I got bullied at school because I wasn't speaking the language, but my school was like 99% black. So it was really hard to notice racism. Then I moved to Seattle and was still in high school and a white guy who was my mentor summertime, he's like, look, you're black and you're gonna struggle in America. People are gonna look at you differently. So you need to know and learn the history of the black people in America. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're telling me, right? But he kept repeating it. He's like, look, when you go into the workforce, you're gonna experience discrimination. And I started to listen and he's like, here are some books go educate yourself. Like this is the black people history in America. So he gave me books like Frederick Douglass, uh, Black Voices, where it's like about slavery. Yes, I had watched Kinta Kunte when I was little, but there was a language barrier. So I saw the horrendous experience, but I didn't understand it. So when I started reading the books and the history, it was kind of like starting to make me angry that they went through all of that so it was like a learning experience and then when I started experiencing racism at like say 19 when I first tried to get a job and the lady looked at me and was like we're not hiring and realized your science says you're hiring but of course there was nothing I could do about it so I left and um the guy I was dating at the time was like go back I saw that they were hiring I'm like I'm not going back and then two weeks later he kept pushing me he's like no you need to go back they're hiring I'm like the lady literally looked at me and said we're not hiring so I went back and the general manager was there he's like wait are you looking for a job he's like yeah we're hiring he's like get her an interview right now and right then and there interviewed and ended up having to work with this lady that looked at me and said we're not hiring that experience was like what really sh just showed me like oh wow I'm different you know this lady looked at me and was not gonna hire me but ended up hiring me because her boss said to interview me and she had no reason not to, but I had to work with her knowing that she did not want to have me there. So it was, it was a rude awakening to racism. See how what, uh, how old were you when this was happening? I was like 19. Okay. Yeah. And then this hoe had to interview you, the lady who said that they weren't hiring, she was the one who interviewed you? He had to, cause he was like, sh I, I went there dressed for an interview, I had my resume, and it was me saying, like, like, I know she wouldn't hire me. She wasn't there. And I don't know if she interviewed me or someone else interviewed me, but the general manager was, like, excited. He was, like, we're hiring. We need people. Let's go, you know? And then I had to work with this lady for two years knowing that she was racist. And her whole persona was racist 
the whole time I worked there, which kind of, for me, it was like, I started being rebellious because I was like, well, if you're going to act like that. Well, let me just, it was, it was a negative experience for me. And I just kind of went into this anger, like how dare you treat me that way sort of thing. And it wasn't healthy. And I learned a lot through that process, but it was kind of my first, you know, black experience in America. So I learned the hard way, let's just say. Yeah. Um, your story, Siham, reminds me of an experience I had in the third grade. That's kind of when I was, uh, I, I kind of figured out I was different then for sure. <laughs> Uh, I was, um, I just remember being in um, my regular classroom and uh, being called by another teacher and, and she calls me and I thought I was in trouble and I just remember she took me to another room and I've never been into this room before and she sits me down and she says, I need to sign you up for this program um, since you're from Somalia and you're new to the, new to the country um, and I have no idea where I am. And I'm like, well, like, what room is this? And she said, this is ESL. And, um, and I said, I'm not new to the country. I was born and raised here. And she just looked, I remember her looking at a clipboard and just looking really confused and looking at, and then, and I'm like, are you sure everything's okay? And she's like, yeah. She's like, we just need to sign you up for ESL. And I remember like, I think it, this was the same grade. We were reading Chronicles of Narnia in my accelerated reading in third grade. Um, and I just remember like, I just felt like in that moment I was being picked on. And I remember I went home that day and I told my mom, you know, she came the next day and handled things the right way. But um, you, I feel like there's a constant like questioning as well. Like that feeling of like, you're not, you're not this, you're this. And like going back to that white guy telling me you're not black, you're this. Um, but I just, that, I just have that vivid experience from third grade, so. Yeah, and to go off of that, so my first experience is when I moved to the States and I was being introduced like in school in second grade as like, oh, this is like a new student. And the teacher was like, oh, she's from Africa. And I was like, well, you could say Kenya, but okay, that's fine. Um, so they just generally like, this is this is a new student from Africa, like please welcome her. And like there was kids in the background just like saying like oh like did you live in a hut and like did you like live with lions and I was so confused because I mean in Kenya I was used to being around black people all the time like it was like so normal so hearing and also being around people you know that have kind of had the same experience or upbringing so when I was getting these questions I was like this is so strange and then also to Halal's point I was also um forced to go into ESL but mind you in Kenya we had to speak English in our school because like that's like the business language so they like enforce us to speak it we actually can't um in my school if we spoke like Swahili or like our tribal language like we would get hit or punished so we spoke English most of the time at least when we were in school um, but I was still forced to like go to ESL and although my parents were like she doesn't need to go to ESL clearly her English skills are right at par with all the other students we were forced to me and my sisters and um, not just that we were there for multiple years when it wasn't necessary for me to be in there and it was um, 
after like two, two, three years where my mom was like, this is ridiculous. She does not need to be in this course at all. Like clearly you can tell that she's bored because you guys are teaching things that she doesn't need. Like she already understands fundamentals. She already understands like um, the English language, how to speak it, how to write it. So it's unfair of you guys to just force her into being in this class when it's not necessary. So that would be like my first experience um, knowing that I'm African, knowing that I'm going to be treated differently in uh, the States. And Carol, that to me, that shit is just crazy because with your experience and Halal's experience, it's like same the same shit that be happening to Black people. Like, hey, uh, no, how about you just take this class, you know? That one, that other one, it might be too difficult for you. Like basically trying to make you stay in a place where you can't grow, where you can't become smarter, where you can't take the AP classes because they want to pigeonhole you where they think you belong. Exactly, and I was like, I'm I I'm comfortable taking like a placement test so you can like get my results and understand that I don't need to be here. But they're like, no, that's not necessary. This is kind of like a requirement for for anybody that's like an international student or coming from abroad. Oh, yeah. We didn't understand that. Unfortunately, I had to repeat the second grade even though I had just finished the second grade in Kenya. That's crazy. I also was was put in ESL when I clearly didn't need it, but I had fun in the ESL class. It was it was popping. There was a lot of snacks. Everybody was cool. I like Mrs. Wu. So it was funny because I didn't, when I got taken out, I was kind of like, dang, I'll go back. <laughs> um, so that's funny because I was like, um, and I don't know what the first experience is that made me feel like I'm African or different. I just always, I just feel like I always have to be comfortable in discomfort. Like if I walk into a room, I've already offended someone without saying something. Um, I don't have to speak my blackness, my skin color. I'm darker. I'm from South Sudan. A lot of us, we're just known for very dark skin anyways um, in my tribal group. So it's like, I've just always known I'm black and I'm African. And growing up, little things like my hair, our hair is so big across the board that having my micro singles fall out in class, like that's embarrassing. Having my mom grease my scalp with blue magic and being made fun of, that was um, like horrible. Like things like that would always happen. And in my professional life, even, um, I like your hair. I like your hair. I like your, I switch up my hair all the time. It's like, I get kind of annoyed with that. Is that your hair? Can I touch your hair? No, that's weird. Why are you touching my hair? Um, I remember we had like, um, a, a meeting and we were welcoming someone new to our team and we just kind of um, went around the table and we had to say something interesting about ourselves and I just went blank I was like oh dang I don't know what to say interesting and my my manager was like well Par always has interesting hair that so that kind of let me know like you're paying a little too much attention to something that's an accessory for us even, you know, it doesn't matter how long my hair is, I'm going to always switch it up. And if, if I don't want to switch it up, that's for me. But I feel like that always comes up in my adult life, I guess, when I was younger, too. So that's my hair. And uh, like, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's so annoying. 
I can relate, girl. about <laughs> 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 the hair. Even trailing back to like elementary school again, like in the beginning, every Sunday, my mom used to sit all us girls down and cornrow our hair. And I hated it. Hated it for two reasons. One, she was brutal when she was cornrowing our hair. Like she, her favorite line is beauty is pain. I'm like, mom, come on now. But then the second reason was when I would go to school, like everybody would like make fun of me and I hated cornrowing our hair, my hair. Like I used to tell her mom, can we like please do a different style or can you make it like more like European-esque, like straighten it or something like that. Cause I just hated getting like the looks or even like the verbals, like, oh, what's, what's going on with your hair? Or like, oh, you look like a guy, why are you cornrowing your hair? Or like little comments like that. Um, ugh, horrible time. I hear you. When my mom used to do our hair, she would sit us between her legs. And then like, if you're moving and stuff, she would pop the shit out of your forehead with the comb. Didn't I say, be still, be still. Or you get the, 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 the hot comb. We used to have the hot comb that would be on the stove and like, you know, <laughs> making the noise before and then put it on. I'm like, oh my God, let me hold my ear down. I'm about to get burnt the fuck up. Like, yes, I know. <laughs> oh, the hot comb. <laughs> So those questions that you guys, those crazy questions about the hair, they asked me if I sleep in this, if I shower in this, if I got hair underneath, what the deal is, you know, it's the, the whole nine. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And to go off of the like, oh, your hair, it looks different. Um, or Par's hair is always interesting. Like in the role that I'm currently in, um, I remember before me and my husband were going to go uh, back to Mexico because we got married there. So we went back the following year for our anniversary and I got my hair done in some single braids, like some individuals some box braids. So I don't have to do my hair while we're gone. And it was a couple of days before I had left. So I went into work and one of the people on my team had cut her hair in like a short bob and I was like oh your hair looks good it's cute you know she cut it she probably cut like a foot off of her hair so it was uh, completely different and I was like yeah it looks good and she was like oh yeah your hair is different too yeah it's really different but it wasn't like yeah your hair looks nice too it was like yeah your hair your hair's different too like really different and then I was just like, okay, but then people started coming in for the meeting. So like, I didn't really have to address what she had just said. And then I was thinking about it afterwards, like, this is the person who hired me onto this team. Like, would I have gotten this job if I had fucking box braids in my hair then? Like, it made me feel like maybe I wouldn't have got the role because it was very clear that my hair being in box braids made her uncomfortable, which is weird because what is, what makes you uncomfortable about box braids being inspired. my hair was like how carol's hair is right now and it was like yeah your hair is it's different too really different it's like okay is that a compliment like um and i don't know if you guys have experienced this or were kind of taught this but um from an early age i was always kind of taught like how to dress up for an interview how to like have your hair and how to like appear in these like more professional spaces whether it's like the workforce or academia and hair was always one of the discussions where you can't have braids or you can't have like very like eccentric hair it kind of has to be like straightened or down or just like simple and plain more to like the european standard 
that's something that I got like very young and was taught by like my family members um, just to unfortunately like fit into the workplace and like get the job. In a lot of ways, it's easier, right? It's like less questions. So sometimes you, you just kind of want to adhere to that. Like if I know if I'm going to a client meeting, I'm like, I'm just not going to, I don't want to be asked any questions. I don't want anyone to make a comment. So I'm just going to do it. And then in my free, free time, you know, or if I know that I'm not having any meetings that are external, then I'm, I do what I want. But it is really sad to think that you have to, that, that's something you have to be really conscious about. I guess those are the things that, that unite us with Black America. Like we have the same experiences regardless of being looked at different or some people might notice it. I've been here so long, I don't notice that I'm different. I just see myself as Black. And, you know, when I'm at work, I'm like just working extra hard to make sure that they're comfortable or I'm safe, you know. There's just that extra work that you have to do to prove that you're safe. And I think that experience is kind of the same across whether you're from Africa or from America. I feel like, you know. And it's just so tiring. Exhausting. <laughs> All of it, it's just exhausting. Oh. Okay, so my next question for you guys, I wanna jump into like college age. Like, have you guys experienced racism on college campuses? What has that looked like? Have you experienced, uh, microaggressions or something that feels like it is racism toward you from an educator um how has your college life kind of looked in your experience with educators outside of the the esl situation now as an adult in college i have an example of um being in college and there was a professor um named oh, i won't do the name no, I'll do the name, Rachel Chapman. Um, and she she was an anthropology teacher and she's a fantastic educator. And she, it was the first class that I had been at um, that I actually felt like I was learning about culture and race in a way that wasn't safe. I thought she was actually going into the, the discussion and, and really opening up and she was fully herself and eccentric and, and 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 allowed for a lot of dialogue in her class. It was just a really fantastic class. And and I I I, re I remember rate my professor where you could kind of see you know how teachers are rated and 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 people were uh, were harsh on her. And I and I think how many women of color can't have to fit a certain mold and have to be really regimented and not have the ability to really be themselves. Uh, in these spaces, whereas if you have an eccentric teacher that is of a different race, they don't get those types of comments. And so it, I remember, I remember re reading the reviews before I even went to the class and I'm like, it, it was so mixed. It was like, people loved her. People were like, yeah, I was too scatterbrained or she was too this or she was too that. And then I go into the class and it was fantastic. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, there were so few black women that are teaching in that space and people are, are gonna to to judge them at such a high standard just very critical nitpicky and it just really really bothered me and and i have a friend who's in academia now um and she's uh, a woman of color and she 
is constantly having students doubt her or um, challenge her constantly when her male counterparts do not have that experience at all. And so it just, even when women pursue these types of careers, they have, they're set to a, a really impossible standard. Um, and I just found that to be really painful, especially in college. It sounds like because she was telling the truth, they didn't like what they're hearing. So now all of a sudden she has <laughs> these bad reviews because it's making them uncomfortable. Well, um, my experience in my college days, well, I was a student athlete at the University of Arizona and my team, I was on the track and field team and I was on the shot put team. My team was all white. Um, and my experiences have been with um, always having to correct the friends I made remarks about how I look and how I talk, where they would either comment on my hair and say, oh, you change it so much. Like, how come you don't just use your real hair? Why is your real hair so kinky? It looks like pubic hairs. I got that remark before. Um, I had a remark where one white girl asked me, how come your palm is white, but the back of your hand is black? I I, I was like, I mean, ask God, I don't know. Um, and then another one, I got into a debate with a friend where I'm no longer friends with. She said, um, it was it's simple. She said, black people can't get sunburned. I don't, it was a simple remark, but I think I had enough. And I was just like, we have a lot of melanin, but if we stay out in the sun too long, it can happen. I don't know. It was just like that, just her saying things like that, just like, asking me questions and people just saying offhanded remarks. Um, it was hard navigating that field, especially in a town in Tucson, Arizona, which is majority white, Hispanic people, and, few, and people just really looking at you like you're a subject, like you're an anomaly and asking outlandish things. But I would have to say college is the first time I was proud of being Nigerian. Um, it was the first time I found uh, black union, black student union. It was the first time I found uh, like African churches. It was the first time I actually liked being Nigerian American. That was the first time ever. That's where I also got this tattoo on me at 18 for my birthday. It's of Africa on my ring finger just to, as a homage to tell myself that I can't get rid of what I was born into and to always remind myself that like don't let people from now on tell you that you shouldn't be this person anymore. But yeah, that was uh, my experience so far in college. So I want to share something from the video, the first one that I did with the Black American people. So one of the girls on there said that the college she went to in Texas, they would do stuff like um, cross the border parties, like dressing up like Mexicans and doing cross the border parties, or they were throwing bleach bombs at Black people, like as they went by, um, yeah, like crazy shit like that. And I have never experienced anything like that in college. The only thing that I would say is that the school I went to, predominantly white, private university, and it was just more of an invisibility type of thing. I wouldn't say that I had any educators that were trying to deter me from taking certain classes because I was always at the top of my classes for the most part. Um, even in math and science courses. And so I haven't had issues like that, but I've definitely had like 
peer groups where it's like, okay, well, like you're not one of us type of thing, which was very apparent. Yeah, my experience was really similar, Tiara. Like I, um, I didn't get it so much from the educators, but um, I went to Washington State University, which I'm sure all of you are familiar with, um, Pullman, Eastern Washington, very white. I think there was maybe 3% or less black people um, at the school and I mean in the town itself right because it was just purely a college town um, and so many so many racist encounters I can't even sum them up in this conversation you know what I mean we'd be here all night um, like I had a friend of mine was just walking down the street to her apartment and these guys were in this pickup truck some of them were sitting in the back and as they were going past her they started screaming the n-word at her um, like some of friends of mine got in a fight because these guys kind of ganged up on them, calling them the N-word at the bar, especially like let some of these Eastern Washington white people get drunk and then their true feelings really come out and, you know, the racism just pours out. Um, and then there was an app. I don't remember what the name of the app was. I'm wondering if anybody else had experience with this app. I never downloaded it, but um, it's almost like blind, but it was for schools. Um, it's basically an anonymous app. It was a college campus like anonymous app. As long as you had an at um, university email, um, you could log in and use it and everything was anonymous. Um, and so all, there apparently was a lot of people on there who would say sick things about black people. And it was like a trend. And, and, and we're walking on campus surrounded by racists but they're all anonymized. Like we don't know who's who. And so all you can feel is this like, like this fear that every, like every single time you sit down and you're in like a 500 person class, you know, and you have two people sitting next to you and they're both white. I'm thinking you're probably one of the racist people on this app. Um, just saying the nastiest, most disgusting things about black people. Um, I mean, it was like hundreds of people on this app just, um, we had like a, a Black Lives Matter protest um, and people were laying down on, on this on the road, but it wasn't like a driving road. It was like on campus. So there wasn't like it's not like we were like blocking traffic um, and people instead of um, a lot of the white people there instead of, you know, being an ally and, you know, joining in solidarity or at least just keeping it pushing and minding your own damn business. Um, a lot of people we're on the app talking about like, what are they doing? Like, we should run them over. We should do this. We should burn them. Like just really disgusting things, like basically talking about modern day lynching. Um, and like, that was Pullman for me. And I got pulled over all the time, all the time by white cops. Never believed it was my car. Always pushing to see my registration, my insurance, asking me every little piece of information about, um, you know, like, where are you going? Where, like, what, what's the address? What's your, like, what's your phone number? Like, I'm not kidding you. Asking me all kinds of questions, which I think was an escalation tactic to, like, get me to really create, like, a Sandra Bland uh, situation where I'm like, oh, no, I know my rights. I'm not going to give you this information. And then it's like, oh, well, she wasn't complying and I had to do this. And, you know, I really think it was, like, escalation tactics. Like, they're really out here trying to get us. Um, but, you know, I did I cooperated. It's like, yep, this is my apartment number. This is my cell phone number. This is where I was going, this is, you know, and just play, play the game. Um, and who knows if I didn't, I might, 
have been the you know us another Sandra Lynn. So um, yeah, college was was crazy. It was just blatant racism everywhere. Is the app you're talking about Yik Yak? Yes, that was what it was called. Yep. That's so scary. Like that experience that you just described, like, I feel like that's America really. Like you're just out here. You don't really know who's who. It's so unsafe for us. We're living in a very unsafe world and we kind of just go through it, go through the motions and like your experience at that school, that's scary. They're talking about running us over and um, they're safe in their like, anonymous I'm gonna say this word wrong they're anonymous they're they're safe in what they're doing and it's just so dangerous I'm like sorry um and I feel like that's America I just my anxiety since George Floyd has been through the roof um I'm getting my concealers permit I'm just like we have to do so much to protect ourselves especially black women black males of course but even it's just so unsafe for black women. Like no one's protecting us. I feel like we protect black males um, even when they're not protecting us. And I just feel like it's so unsafe for us. That's why I love that we're even doing this. It's like, okay, we have, we have each other. We could talk about these discussions and share our experiences and help each other out. I think it's so powerful. But your experience that you just described, that's like life every day. It's just scary. Right. I had just gotten into running a little bit more because of what was happening. I wanted to get my energy out. And then the whole Ahmad situation, I, I mean, it, it, it makes you rethink a lot of just simple things, just walking um, to the store. Like usually I would, it's, it's in the back of my mind. I'm always alert. But after that happened and after what's going on right now, I feel like people are so empowered and so angry that I'm very careful about who I'm with or where I'm going. And I'm just a lot more cautious. And that on top of just like the daily stress of being a black woman and then also working in, we're all you know, professionals and, and having to balance that on top of uh, this unprecedented um, pandemic, it just feels like a lot of anxiety and even something that I enjoyed so much, which was running to get out a lot of that energy. Now that is no longer a safe thing. So it's, it's very hard. Compromise at all times. I remember, um, the week, um, following the murder of George Floyd, our, we ended up going on lockdown. Um, we, every, the cities, every city in the Twin Cities had had a curfew of like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. because there are white supremacists going around and shooting at people and it's crazy looting and like doing in the communities that we represent and come from on purpose. And so my dad every day, he's like a walker and there's a there's a trail near our house. And I just remember him saying, thinking to myself, oh, my God, is dad going to be OK? And it's like, why do I need to think about that? Yeah, sorry, it makes me really emotional, but it's, 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 there's so much injustice. It just makes me so angry. I'm just tired of just trying to survive this whole time. I, I, I don't even know. I feel like, I don't know if we ever have a long-term joyful moment. You know, I feel like black joy is so scarce. It's so scarce because we're always constantly 
having to survive. Even during this, we're still having to survive, yet tend to other people and make sure other people are okay and make sure other people understand us. And it's like, it's so irritating because you're like, you know, you can get, you can get mad about it. You get to the point where you're tired of just constantly being in the same headspace, surviving, being mad about something, fighting, and then in that whole circle. There's a moment where you're just vying for that moment of joy. Like, when are we going to be happy? Like, when are we going to look back on this and be like, oh, thank God we survived this. And now we can just breathe. Like, when can we just breathe? 